Episode 40, Surprising Parallels Between the Harry Potter Saga and Authentic Christianity. Rethinking the Bible with Jack Pelham. Welcome to Rethinking the Bible. This is an audio podcast where we apply reality-based thinking to interpreting the Bible. Reality-based thinking is my name for a philosophy that seeks to make constant use of honesty, rationality, and responsibility in seeking out the reality of things while trying to avoid common errors. And for the record, I define reality as the state of things as they actually exist, as opposed to one's perceptions, beliefs, or wishes about them. And you should know, this is a serial podcast, so it's best if you start from episode one and work your way forward from there, because we lay some foundational principles up front, and you'll be lost later if you skip them now. It's been some weeks since I last posted an episode. I've been very busy um, with things other than working. It's a slow work season, which is not good. Uh, However, I've been working on lots of other projects, including my health. I've been walking for two hours a day, uh, every day of the week, and spending almost all of that walk time with um, listening to podcasts and listening to uh, books on audio. Uh, and that's been a great, uh, great time. Also, the you know the exercise clears my mind, but also having so much good stuff to think about has been a really good time for me, and I feel uh, sharper than before. Although uh, two hours a day of walking uh, is no casual affair, and it leaves little time for other things. So I'm glad to be getting healthier, uh, and yet I constantly feel the stress of time management and uh, how to get everything done that seems like it needs doing. Uh, including this podcast. I have been uh, anxious, it's not quite the right word, but I've been so uh, looking forward to talking about so many things, including today's topic. It's been on my mind for a few weeks, uh, but I still want to keep hammering away at the common misconceptions that are so popular today among the churches. And I would uh, love to keep doing that, However, I think that today's subject is a bit of a um, a bit of a poke at what stands in the way of so many people really getting these things that I have found in the scriptures and making full use of them. It seems to me like uh, it's easy to get people to listen to something, but do they really hear it? And of course, I'm talking metaphorically. Do they really get it? Do they really understand it and grasp it fully? And then, of course, the further question, do they put it into practice fully? Uh, I'm pretty sure I've shared about this before, but I thought as an opener to my uh, Harry Potter thoughts, I would um, share something that I heard once in a sermon and have never been able to vet it. And so I will tell you the story again. I perhaps have told you this before, but... I would take the names out because I just hate to uh, spread uh, unvetted information any further. But the idea is about uh, people not really understanding a cause. And so the story goes something like this. Um, Man A, whose name I will not tell you as I heard it, uh, goes to rich man B 
he's wanting to start some new organization that you've heard of, uh, if the story is true. And um, so he goes to talk to Rich Man B and spends a while talking. And then at the end of that, Rich Man B writes a check for $5,000, passes it across the desk, and Man A looks at it and passes it back and says something like this. I, here's the line the way I remember it. I see that I have failed to impress upon you the greatness of the cause which I represent. And if those aren't the actual words, that's how I've come to learn it. I'd be very disappointed if those are not the actual <laughs> words that were said, if this meeting ever really actually happened in history. Uh, however, uh, the man passes the check back across the desk and walks out. So he's wanting to start this new organization for a cause that he represented, and uh, he needs more than $5,000. And rather than to take the 5000 for what it was worth, he decides, no, uh, this is just not fitting. It's not what I need, and I will come back later. Uh, so they do meet again later. I don't know after how much time, and of course it may not be a true story. But uh, after they meet again, he gets a second audience with the man and walks out with a check for $5 million, which is uh, somewhat better, if my calculations are right, than the check for 5000 And so with that $5 million, he's able to start his organization, and the rest is history, uh, if any of it is history. So uh, if that story is familiar, perhaps it's because you've heard it from me. If you know this story from real life and can... Uh, can vet that story for me. If you can give me a, a hyperlink or a, a bibliography uh, citation in a book, I would sure love to know it because it's a fascinating story. And it is, uh, as so many good stories are, it is true in a sense, even if it is not literally historically true that that really happened. And that is that somebody can try to make a point to you and you're like, yeah, yeah, I get it. That's, that's sure. That's great, Jack, you know, but then you don't really get it. You don't understand just how big a cause it is. And um, that is, uh, as my dad would say, the story of my life, you know, uh, because I deal with so many um, high level kinds of ideas that could really fix a bunch of stuff that could solve a lot of problems that could help a lot of people. And uh, it's so common to find people that say, yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> and then they are not willing to invest um, hardly anything in it. I also uh, see people who, and this is super common, they will um, hear a new fact and they'll say, oh, that's kind of important. And uh, boy, I didn't know that, or that's different from what my preacher says, you know. And they'll think, oh, that maybe there's something really there. That sounds kind of convincing. And then they'll go hear the preacher again, or the guy on the radio, or whatever. And then they, um, say, well, he sounds pretty good too. And so I don't know what to think. And so they walk away thinking nothing. They don't decide anything. Uh, they may even tell themselves they, they feel good about themselves for being, well, I listened to that other guy. And um, that's really good that I listen. And yet they don't really uh, get it if, if they can't take the new facts and make that part of their existing model of understanding, you know, how they see the world, how they see the Bible or, you know, whatever the issue may be. And this happens so much. It is uh, as if 
they will take credit for having learned the new thing, but then they don't put the new thing into uh, practice. Uh, they don't put it into their data set. They don't put it into their set of beliefs. And so it's as if they had not heard the new thing at all. It has no value for them, except perhaps for some sort of self-suiting uh, pat on the back. Oh, look at me. I've learned so much. Uh, it's somewhat like a, like what you can get when you have a lot of books on your bookshelf at home. You can say, oh, look at me. Uh, I'm a person of books. And yet uh, the question, well, how many have you read? How many have you studied? How many do you understand? Um, maybe you don't want anybody asking those questions because you haven't got into it all. And so you can say, well, I go to a Bible-believing church. Uh-huh. And do you uh, believe the Bible? Uh, sure. Okay. And do you read the Bible? Well, some. And how much do you study? Well, you know, I go to church on Wednesday nights. That's our Bible study night. <laughs> Like okay, so you don't, you're not really a student of it, you know, because I could ask you, okay, well, tell me what you're struggling to understand now, because there's lots of uh, things in the Bible that can be quite puzzling. So what are you working on? Oh, nothing really comes to mind. Uh huh. Okay, and there's a reason for this is because you're not really working the puzzle. So anyway, I. Uh, this idea that um, somebody can present a point to you and that you end up not really getting it and you're, uh, you're under-investing in response to the point. You know, this is the, to go back to the, the story, you, you're, this is your $5,000 check when really what was in order was a check for $5 million. And uh, that's the idea here. I've, I feel like a lot of my time is spent uh, trying to communicate $5 million ideas to people uh, and getting back um, either you know nothing in response or the five thousand dollar kind of response, and so um, this has been a constant bother uh, to me and a constant puzzle. And of course, I don't know everything myself. I don't understand everything myself. So I am at the same time on a journey and not at a destination. Uh, while I wish other people would get on the journey too. And so, uh, of course, it would be maybe easier if I could say, hey, I've got all this figured out. Y'all just shut up and listen to me, right? Well, that's not the case. Um, it's rather, hey, I'm on this road. I think you all should get on it too. Come on, let's go. Let's let's figure this stuff out. Uh, but there are so few who have that sort of journeying uh, spirit about them or that sort of journeying um, way of looking at the Christian walk. Rather, I think the grand appeal is, oh, come on down to, uh, to the community church here because we have a grand old peaceful time and we have nice, uh, you know, covered dish suppers every six months or so and and we sing nice songs and stuff, and the preacher's really nice. And that uh, satisfies so many. I, that obviously would not satisfy the journeying person or the adventurer or whatever. Uh, but so many find that so satisfying. And even if they don't at first, they learn how to be satisfied with that. And okay, and there's a lot to said, be said for covered his suppers and, and you know, uh, nice people. Uh, but... I think that authentic Christianity is about more than that. I think it's about more than just having a peaceful life and 
having a nice existence and, you know, trying to fit in some place and get along with people. Uh, I, I think it's about uh, much more than that. So I wanted to talk about some parallels I noticed with the Harry Potter stories. Now, uh, I know right off the bat that some number of Christians, and I don't know what percentage, uh, some will think, OMG, he's talking about Harry Potter, that's from Satan because it's about witchcraft and and all that. Well, I don't think that the Harry Potter stories are about witchcraft. I think they're about good and evil. And I think that the, uh, the magical uh, aspects to the story are just a device to get you there into a world that... Um, is interesting enough to pay attention to, uh, rather than trying to tell us a story about some 11-year-old kid in middle school um, and his friends. And so uh, I don't see the book as enticing people to uh, witchcraft. In fact, I don't think that those powers are available for people. Whatever was going on in Bible times, I don't think that's still happening. Now, that's a whole can of worms, but I'm honest enough to tell you up front that that's what I think. So I, I don't have the same qualms about um, reading Harry Potter or watching the movies that some people have. And uh, I also think it's good literature. I quite enjoy the stories. I think they're excellently written. I think the character development is great. I have uh, not read the books. I have listened to them on audio, though, while working. And I have seen all the movies multiple times over the years. So uh, anyway, if uh, if you're done with this podcast because it mentions Harry Potter, well, see ya. Maybe next time uh, I'll talk about something that you don't find so controversial. Uh, however, uh, this and I have been quite busy and in a hurry. I have zero notes for this uh, episode today. I have not written down the first Bible verse. Uh, we'll talk about some. I'm, I'm uh, winging it the whole way through. And I regret that in one sense because I believe that there's probably a pretty nice essay to be written here. It could be eloquent and, and um, you know, very nicely presented. But that's not what you're going to get today. You're just going to get my raw thoughts and hopefully they make enough sense. So uh, let me just jump right into it. Harry Potter, uh, if you know the story at all, uh, he is an orphan, and he's raised by a very unloving uh, set of relatives, uh, and so uh, aunt and uncle and a cousin, and they do not like him at all. They are very unloving and selfish people and vain, and uh, Harry is an imposition to them. Uh, they are just barely willing to have him, apparently, and he lives under the stairs. Uh, meanwhile, his cousin Dudley has uh, t not just one, but two bedrooms. <laughs> and so um, that gives you some idea just how lowly uh, Harry is valued by the family. And so he lives this way until he is um, 11 years old. Uh, nobody has any vision for Harry. Nothing is expected of him other than to do chores. I think we see him washing dishes, and I'm not sure what else he does. Uh, they take him along... Um, begrudgingly on uh, trips and things like that. And so uh, nobody expects anything from Harry. Well, I think that that is an awful lot like growing up in the typical American church. And I've been to lots of different churches and had tons of talks with people about church and what goes on there. I haven't been to them all, obviously, 
I haven't been to even one of every denomination. And of course, when I was a kid, you could have counted the denominations in a few minutes, but now it's just this profusion. I hear there are just thousands over. Last I checked, uh, you know, somebody's report, there were over 5,000 different denominations. It's almost like, um, you know, start your own, you do it yourself, uh, whatever. So uh, anyway, I do think though that uh, perhaps I've seen enough to have a good sense of what goes on out there. And I think that you can grow up in most churches and uh, have practically nobody having a high vision for your life and what it should be. Uh, We want you to come. Hopefully you come every week. Yeah, we do want you to tithe some. Um, And, you know, get in a Sunday school class because that's good for you. So that would be good. And, uh, oh, yeah, if you want to bring somebody, sure. Okay, well, beyond that, though, really, what's the church's vision for you and your life and for what you could become, for what your character could become? I think for many, it is very, very low. Uh, Many, like regarding the the kids and the teens, uh, a lot of churches, I think their vision for the kids might be something like, well, I hope they graduate high school. I hope uh, he can stay out of jail. I hope they don't get drunk and die in a car wreck. I hope they survive to adulthood. I hope uh, she doesn't get pregnant and have babies before she graduates uh, high school. These kinds of things. These are very low bars. And when I say bar, I'm talking about the ballet thing that they... uh, the dancers put their leg up on and they stretch and, and have exercises there at the bar. And that's B-A-R-R-E, I have learned, which I believe is French, uh, as is ballet mostly. So um, anyway, and I know this because I did take one ballet class in college. I was in uh, musical theater uh, for a bit and I thought, well, it wouldn't hurt for me to take a class. So there you go. And, and hence my extensive knowledge of dance. <laughs> So, uh, this low expectation. Do you expect uh, people to become Bible experts in your church? You know, over the next 10 or or 50 years that they're there. Well, no. Uh, It's funny. Now, you may hear sermons about this. I heard sermons of how I ought to uh, dig into the Bible. And uh, I actually did it uh, so much that I... think I was considered kind of weird. Uh, So it's like, well, the sermon says to do it, but I don't think it was really expected because, uh, and of course, um, you know, a lot of my peers weren't doing it either. I say either, they they weren't doing it. And so there may be lip service from time to time that would tend to negate what I'm saying, but I'm sort of looking at the average thing, how things normally work out and the low expectations. So Harry gets to 11 years old and then here comes a letter from Hogwarts School of, what's it called? Um, Wizardry and something. Uh, So anyway, (laughs) if you know the stories, you probably know better than I do what the name of the school is. Uh, But um, so at length, Harry discovers that he is a wizard and he's grown up in a muggle world where there are 
there's no such thing as wizards and witches. That's just all lore. And um, he discovers, no, he actually has some powers. And there's a school for people like me, and there's a whole class of people like me. Uh, and then um, as you keep going in the story, he also discovers that he had a family, that his mother and father loved him very much. And uh, because he had been orphaned uh, as an infant still, uh, so so he never knew his parents. And so he discovers that he has uh, his parents were uh, somewhat accomplished in the magical world and that they loved him, that they had a history, that they had a context. And so suddenly, uh, after 11 years of living a contextless life, Harry discovers, hey, my life has meaning. There, um, Something happened before I got here, and it was meaningful, and it has some uh, relevance to me, and I exist because of that. And so there's a timeline here, and this is one thing that I... I see with my own students that uh, very few walk in the door having a sense that they were born onto a timeline uh, and having any sort of real, uh, you know, tangible grasp on the fact that the world was here before they got here, that things were already happening before they were born, uh, <laughs> that that they themselves are the cause of other people's uh, decisions, and uh, that they are the cause of... Um, or they are the result, at least to some extent, of the influence of what kind of people their parents are, and the parents' strengths and weaknesses have rubbed off on the kids to some extent. Um, although that it's not, you know, um, it's not deterministic that oh, you're going to be exactly who you are because of exactly who your parents are. Uh, but the uh, Harry went from having no such context to realizing, oh, I've got a family. And my family were real people, and they had a real past, and there's a real story there, and that can be learned somewhat, and it can mean something to me. Uh, like when he learned, for instance, that his father had been a seeker in Quidditch, uh, the sport that they would play, and Harry had just been recruited as seeker for the Quidditch team. So this sort of thing that, uh, oh, well, wow, I'm, I'm part of a heritage here. I'm part of a, a storyline. Well, I think that for Christians, uh, they're supposed to be part of a storyline, too. Uh, but oftentimes that gets whittled down to nothing more than, well, I'm a church member. I go to the XYZ church, and uh, so do the other people here. And that's about as far as it goes. But I think that in the Bible, the idea is that, uh, wait a minute, I was, uh, I'm part of this human race, that seems to go back to Adam and Eve, if I'm reading the Bible right. And uh, God created them and started the whole thing, or the, or some would tell you uh, their theory is that Adam and Eve were a special creation, that there were already humans in existence. Well, okay, that's different from what you normally hear. But even in that case, God still seems to have started something new and special with Adam and Eve. Of course, some will say, well, Adam and Eve aren't, a true couple. It's just an allegory about mankind in general, and it was never intended to be taken as a history. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So a lot of that can be very um, confusing and aggravating, and good luck tracking all that down. Uh, however, it does appear God started something with the human race, and that he had something in mind. 
Well, we've been talking about that all along with all this talk about living in the image of God. And uh, that's what I think. Uh, it's, it's very hard for Americans to get this, American churchers, because you can hear that and say, oh, that's kind of convicting, Jack. And uh, yeah, that's a good point, bro. Uh, but then you go right back to the same church as before where the bar is set so low for you and where there is so little expectation for you that you uh, very quickly forget. And what is this uh, that he goes away? This is Paul talking, right, about looking in the mirror, and some would go away and immediately forget what they look like. You see? And the idea that uh, God has a, um, a, a, well, your life is born into an ongoing story that starts with the whole idea of being in, uh, in the image of God. And people forget that. And they settle for other things. Well, well, I'm in the image of church. I do what they ask me at church. I go, you know, once a week or twice a week or whatever is expected of me. And, and I'm a faithful member there. Well, okay, but that doesn't necessarily have anything to do with living in the image, you see. Because it's your own personal heritage that you either are pleasing God, living in his image or not. And it's between you and God. It's not between you and the church. It's not this collective thing. You know, and incidentally, I've been, uh, one of the books I've been listening to on audio is uh, Live Not By Lies, and I have not learned the author's name. But it's an interesting story about the current sociological trends and political trends by which um, we are being encouraged not to see ourselves as individuals anymore, but as parts of groups. And, uh, of course, if you're part of a group, then you're swayed by what the group is doing and less likely to be swayed by your own thoughts and your wonderings and your studies and your vetting of things and all that. And so, obviously, if you want control of a society, get them to all think of themselves as part of the team. And um, then you tell them, well, here's what the team's doing, so get on board, right? Okay. Well, what if you think of your own religion that way? Well, I belong to the church rather than I belong to God. You see the difference? Well, I'm part of this group rather than I was built in the image of God. And so if your view of it is the church-centric and not the image-centric or the even, I hesitate to say the individual-centric view because it's as much about God having created you as it is about you having been created, you see? So it's not just one individual, it's God and me. You know, God started it, I'm part of it, am I going to live that way or not? And so Harry decides, um, or doesn't decide, he learns that he is part of a thing he didn't even know existed. And I think this happens a lot to people. I mean, we used to study the Bible with lots of people trying to convert them over to the church we were going to. And uh, so, you know, this is not uncommon for me to find somebody who's mildly interested, who's going to sit down and study the Bible, and uh, you end up telling them lots of things. They're like, I never knew that. I had no idea. (laughs) You know, I did not know that sleeping around was bad, right? Uh, You know, all kinds of things you might take for uh, granted 
but they did not know because they had lived in ignorance, right? And so um, the question of, well, what kind of discovery should be made by a person who says, oh, I am created in God's image, so what all does that mean? What all can I learn about that from the Bible and about how I should live and how I should think and believe, how I should manage my thoughts, how I should manage my behaviors and my relationships with people? Uh, how far does that go? So uh, Harry discovers that um, he is part of a thing, <laughs> that he, you know, he has powers he didn't know existed and, or had a little clue perhaps but didn't know much about and he's now part of a society that he didn't know existed. The old society is now somewhat um, marginalized in its importance to him because uh, that's not all there is. And until he was 11, that was all there is as far as he knew, right? He, he longed for more. He was lonely for his parents and for whatever that might mean to be in a family because he had not known that. Uh, however, he did not know uh, that there was something more out there. He merely uh, was aware of the absence of it, right? And I think that tons of Christians are like that. Is this all there is? I go to church, yeah, I guess it's good that I go, but it doesn't really fill me up. I don't feel fulfilled by it. I don't, it's not intellectually challenging very much. I don't think I'm becoming much of a person because of it. I'm not sure we're accomplishing much. It seems to be the goal is to mark time. You know, that's marching in place uh, to the beat. But you're not going anywhere, right? And so I think a lot of people go through that. And a lot of people learn to be satisfied with that. So Harry gets in this new world at Hogwarts, and he uh, learns that he can have friends, very good friends. Uh, he has a couple. And then, you know, peers, uh, Harry and, I mean, Ron and Hermione. And then he has um, some mentors of different kinds, different classes of mentors. Dumbledore is one who, of course, is, um, as Harry and so many others see, he's the greatest wizard alive or ever or, you know, something along those lines. And then there's Hagrid, who is uh, not so gifted as a wizard but is a big-hearted loyal friend and um, a bit of a guard for them, for uh, Harry and Ron and Hermione. And so uh, Harry has discovered, oh, I can have these kind of meaningful relationships, uh, even uh, with uh, people who are way older than him. Uh, he also discovers that he can have enemies in the wizarding world just like he had at home with... Um, the Dursleys. He can have, um, you know, the kind of animosity between people and others being rude and careless to him and all that. And so, um, so, you know, even in his, his wizarding world is not perfect, right? Well, uh, Harry also, wait, before I leave that point, I, the parallel is that in true Christianity, and if you read like everything the Bible says, you'll discover you're supposed to have really deep uh, relationships with people where there's high trust, where there's honesty, where you treat each other right, where if there's sin between you, you clear, clear the air, you deal with it, uh, rather than just sweeping it under the rug. 
this is a whole new level of friendship from what Harry would have learned with the Dursleys. And it's a whole new level from what so many millions would ever learn at church. Because so few ch churches actually teach all of what Jesus taught. They just pick a subset of it and say, this will be our core, our core body of content, and we don't really fool with the rest, right? And that's cheating, of course, and that's why you get such a low um, um, result in maturity for people who grow up in those atmospheres and who stay in that culture. So uh, Harry discovers he can have these relationships. He discovers he can learn a ton. He learns all manner of spells, a lot of them from Hermione, who is even better at learning than he is. And so, uh, but then Harry also learns that um, not all friends are good friends. Some might want to be the friend. They might be infatuated with you, or they might be, you know, fame seekers or fame lovers. They might be the psychophants type of uh, people. And so uh, he goes through all of that. Uh, he goes through lots of struggles, lots of persecutions. Uh, he learns a lot of things that people will not accept. You know, he says, well, Dumbledore is alive. He's back. And of course, uh, people don't want to believe that. So they figure, well, Harry's an idiot, right? Or Harry's lying or something like this. Uh, Harry discovers that he has, the, uh, he's a parcel mouth. Is that right? Parcel tongue is what he speaks is, as a parcel mouth. That is, he can speak uh, so as to be understood by snakes, and he can understand snakes talking. Well, uh, he doesn't know. He's not been brought up in the wizarding world, but um, he has this power. It comes out in a class one day, and suddenly almost everybody is scared to death of Harry because um, Harry doesn't know this is very rare, and only... Um, the heir of Slytherin is supposed to have this power uh, or something like that. It's, it's so rare that at least the one prophesied to have the power is a bad guy. And so people are scared of Harry. Do they ask and find out, gee, Harry, how did you get this skill? No, they don't ask. They just assume. And so Harry uh, becomes sort of a black sheep for a time. And, uh, you know, I, I see lots of parallels here. If you are the kind of Christian who says, uh, wow, the God of all existence is interested in me. He created me on purpose. I'm part of this, this race he invented, and we were supposed to live in his image. If you're the kind of person who values that highly and you um, start learning about that, you're going to learn all kinds of things that the average Joe Churcher just has no idea about. And they are going to look at you like you're an odd bird. And they're not going to know what to make of you. And some of them will persecute you. Some of them will uh, avoid you. Some of them will uh, want to be your friend but are lousy at it. Some of them will want to pretend they're your friend for whatever motives. Uh, and aren't really uh, your friend at all. And so uh, that's very, very difficult. And yet here you are doing the thing you think you're supposed to be doing by getting to know God and the Bible and uh, what all was taught and what it was talking about and all that. And so you're really quite the black sheep uh, compared to that set of people who are into church but aren't into the image. 
And so there's that, right? So Harry goes through a lot of struggles. And this brings to mind the scriptures. Uh, I don't have them written out for you, but where Jesus says to his disciples, uh, in this world, you will have troubles. And if you don't already know what I'm talking about, you can go look that up. You yourself can invest a couple of minutes and go look it up. Or where is it where Paul writes, um, we must, how is it? We must all something go through many struggles to enter the kingdom or something along those lines. And translations vary. I'll blame it on that rather than an imperfect memory. Uh, but you could go look that up. You could uh, look up things like the Beatitudes where blessed are you when men persecute you and revile you and say all manner of evil things against you and so forth. Uh, you could study all of this out and you could find what I found over the years that, oh, God, apparently, if I'm reading the Bible right, he does not expect our time here on this earth to be trouble free. He seems to be quite aware that we're going to have troubles here, especially, what does it say? Anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Where's that one? Go look that one up, right? Or keep in mind, if the world hated me, they will hate you also. This is what he says at the Last Supper to the apostles, right? Go look that up. See what he said. I bet I haven't thought of half of the obvious ones, right? And so God knows that if you try to live a godly life, you are going to be persecuted by ungodly people. He knows that. That's part of the plan. It is not an accident. It is not an emergency. OMG, what's happening here? God must not know this. This can't be right. This can't be part of the plan for my life. My life's supposed to be glorious and uh, joyful in every moment and without incident, right? Well, no, it appears that life in this world is some manner of proving grounds. Remember, we've already talked about all this language about silver and gold and refining and dross in the fire and all this kind of thing. So uh, I think one of the huge errors that so many churches make is they're trying to make something closer to utopia than to the crucible. They want the time of blessing and and deep enrichment and, and happy butterflies and rainbows and such, uh, rather than uh, this world is a hard place, you see. And so uh, I think that is one of the most major mistakes that they make. And when uh, Billy's had a hard week and he comes to church and says, gee, you know, I've had a hard week. And they're like, oh, well, you just put all that out of your mind, Billy. It's okay. You know, and they do they really help him to deal with it and process it and, and learn how to be uh, righteous in all things, even when it's hard? Well, no, they uh, often they tend to try to just uh, assuage all that and get him to move past it anyway without really dealing with it. Because actually Billy's going to make some mistakes in how he deals with things, and those need to be uh, 
processed and uh, repented of and uh, reworked and so forth. But is he going to get that kind of help at church? Well, if it's not a church that's all about uh, living in the image, but about something else instead, he's probably not going to get that help. And so a lot of this comes down to, well, what kind of person is Billy? Harry Potter is a good-hearted kid. He's got some things he needs to learn. He needs to mature somewhat. I don't think he's entirely honest all the time. Uh, he does break some rules. We'll talk about that in a bit. But Harry is uh, a good-hearted guy. He is not ambitious. If you know the whole story, at the end, he has gathered up the trifecta of uh, things to have if you want to be the most powerful wizard in the world. I, th I don't recall what happened with the resurrection stone, but he's got the, um, the invisibility cloak, and then he's also got the elder wand that had been Dumbledore's. And what does he do with the wand? He breaks it and throws it away. Because he was not the ambitious sort who wanted to have all power over other wizards. And he had very good reason for this because he had seen uh, uh, Voldemort up close and personal and known the evil that's in that uh, man's heart. And so Harry did not want to be like that. And he was willing to give up even the most valuable wand in the world. So that tells you something about the character of the Harry Potter guy and what he was like. And so can you have any idea how many Christians are ambitious and would definitely have kept that wand so they could use it themselves? Whether they were telling themselves they'd use it for good or bad, they would have kept it. But Harry did not do that. He had seen that ambition up close and personal with Voldemort and decided, no, I'm not going to be like that. He hated the fact. In fact, when he thought that he was the heir of Slytherin, uh, this troubled him uh, grievously because he thought that was evil and he did not want to be evil. He was willing to question himself. So many, though, in the basic churcher world uh, spend very little time questioning themselves in those kinds of ways. And we've talked about this again and again. Each one should examine himself and see whether he's in the faith. You know, come let us reason together. You know, all, all kinds of passages about self-examination. Harry was willing to do that. But so many are not. And they have no idea that they are not living in the image of God when they live a sans self-examination life. In fact, it's the if they try that at church, uh, depending on the the flavor of you know the, the personality of that congregation, the prevailing disposition, they may be told, well, "Bro, get out of yourself. Quit navel gazing. You know, so stop. Why are you thinking about yourself? You need to be thinking about others." It's like, well, does the Bible not tell me to repent of my sin? You know. What about the guy who wouldn't even beat his breast and wouldn't look up to heaven, or wouldn't look up to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, uh, "God have mercy on me, sinner that I am." Was he rebuked for his self-focused prayer about his own sin? No, he was glorified in that story. You see, 
So I think the churches uh, can be awfully worldly and miss these things. And if you're going to be a real authentic Christian, how well are you going to fit in there? We should not expect to fit in well at all. In fact, you will be a constant aggravant to a culture like that. Just constant. And why wouldn't you be? I wrote a post on Facebook uh, recently, something about, uh, you know, I think that a modern day visit with from Jesus would be as poorly received as was the original visit 2,000 years ago. And I think that's so true. I think people would find him very surprising. Uh, even, you know, when he came the first time, they found him surprising. He was not the man uh, many expected. Uh, of course, they were... Um, hoping for a military uh, conqueror to come in and wipe out all the bad guys and fix the nation uh, of Israel into this powerhouse, um, finally bringing them to their rightful place as the leader nation in the world. Well, he was not that, and this surprised a lot of them. Now, think of the irony. Uh, if he were to come back today to visit again, you know, to preach for a couple of years or something, uh, he would not be in the same situation where people wouldn't know what to expect. Uh, indeed, now we have the Bible and all these stories about him, and we should know very well what to expect uh, him to be like. And yet, uh, people, I think, would be grossly surprised anyway, because they simply don't listen to everything that the Bible says about him. And so... This time it would be through their negligence that they would not know what to expect and not through their ignorance, you see. And uh, this is because they don't understand the value of that to which they have been called uh, to repent. They don't understand that, oh, yeah, the, for me to live in the image of God, that is a really high um, aspiration. And they will think, well, I, you know, it's not like I'm a murderer. Uh, yeah, is that where you set the bar for where your own personal bad behavior becomes sin? It's like, oh, okay, well, I guess I'm a sinner now. I, I did just murder two people. Uh, <laughs> I, but before that, I wasn't a sinner. I, I wasn't in moral error, right? Uh, if, have you set the bar so high for what counts as sin? I haven't memorized it yet, but I, I think I mentioned a few weeks ago reading from the Wisdom of Sirach, uh, which is an apocryphal book. It's also called Ecclesiasticus. And there's a place in there where he says something to the effect of, you should be uh, as certain of the little things as of the big things. You should be as careful to be right in the little things as well as the big things. And somebody will say, ah, oh, Jack, well, that's not in the Bible. <laughs> like, well, no, that's true, it's not. But you do have Jesus saying, you know, the servant who's been faithful with little will be faithful with much. Almost sounds as if he were familiar with Sirach. But even if he wasn't, uh, Sirach had figured out the same thing that Jesus had figured out. 
and that a faithful person is going to be faithful with the little things, with the little facts. Let's get the little things right. You know, I was constantly embarrassed that uh, W could not pronounce the word nuclear in typical uh, traditional fashion, but he would say nuclear. And other people would think, well, Jack, that's really petty. That word is commonly mispronounced. And I'm thinking, yes, and how many people are commonly the president of the United States? So to have a man in that position who cared so little to get the little things right, that to me was embarrassing and bothersome. And uh, like, I'm pretty sure I've shared this story before, I was at my parents' house, I shaved in the guest bathroom, and left the whiskers in the sink. And my dad finds them and says, you know, it would have taken so little effort for you to rinse that out. And he's totally right. It would have taken, what, 10 seconds, 15 seconds, especially when they're still wet, right? Later when they're dried on, it takes more work. Well, he was absolutely right. It would have been so little effort, and I so little valued the the culture of the house and the cleanliness of the house and the well-being of others, that I did not invest those few seconds into cleaning up after myself. And so oh, it doesn't matter whether it's your whiskers or whether it's how to pronounce a word right. Uh, when we say, well, that's, that's a trivial matter, Jack. That's such a small matter. You're just being petty. Really? Okay, well, how is it you have made this into a vice of mine? I was talking to one friend years ago about something or other, and I said something wrong in the way I was expressing something. I said, wait, wait, let me get this uh, right. And somehow the way the thing worked out as I was apologizing for the error, he said, oh, yeah, you don't want to be legalistic, right? As if stopping to correct myself was a legalistic thing to do. (laughs) And I said, Oh, wait, I think it's the righteous thing to do to correct my error and to get the truth right in what I'm telling you. And that sort of threw him for a loop. He's like, oh, uh, oh, okay, right? And so he uh, had this sort of memeish thing in mind that, oh, you know, I actually heard a, a church teacher once say that correcting yourself in a sermon when you make a mistake is, uh, pardon the word, but it's prideful. Of course, the real word for that is proud. Uh, But uh, how twisted is that? Because if you're in the image of God, tell me this. What does God get wrong? When was the last time God made a mistake? It could be as simple as misspeaking uh, or as the lazy speech, like we say, Uh, then rather than than, because you have to drop that jaw more to get the than out good. And so maybe it's just a lazy jaw, right, when you talk and you say, uh, he is better than her at this. Well, is that a mistake? Well, sure. Is it a serious moral mistake? No. Is it hard to fix? No, (laughs) it's not. So why don't you fix it? Uh, Well, you're lazy. You don't think it's worth the investment to be right in that, you see? Well, uh, this is so easy to talk about because it's such a common kind of error that we make. 
And, you know, I deal with singers and speakers all the time, so this kind of thing is always on my mind. However, people make this kind of error in many, many ways. Uh, small little things, they get the word wrong, they use the word wrong, they have the definition wrong in a word, they misquote a passage, they misattribute something to somebody who didn't say it. You tell them, you know, George Washington didn't say that after all. I've tried to vet it and cannot find that. And they'll say, well, I don't care. I'm still going to leave the meme up because uh, it's such a good thought. Well, okay, so you don't mind about the falsehood as long as you think it serves a greater cause. Well, I think that's cheating. I think that's careless, and it is not morally defensible. Why not take the few seconds to correct it? Oh, Jack, well, that's just legalistic. Oh, on what account? How has it become a sin to correct your sin? How can that be? So, Harry finds himself in this real world, which, of course, is all fictitious because it's a novel and there are no wizards and witches who have powers to do these things. Um, so, but in the story, as the story goes, he finds himself in this new real world that he didn't know existed and lots and lots of people didn't know it existed. And I'm telling you, that's what real Christianity is like. I think a lot of people have no idea. Uh, one of the things with Harry, he had not been taken seriously by the Dursleys. And suddenly, uh, he's people hear his name and they're like, Harry Potter? You're Harry Potter, <laughs> right? And he's somebody, and he doesn't know he's somebody. He's surprised to find this out, and he's a bit uh, wigged out by how many people seem to think he's important, and, well, why is this? And so he has to learn the story of what all had happened before. Well, I got a surprise for you. If you are one of God's devotees, if you're a, a follower of Jesus, uh, your life has meaning, and there's a story, and it has importance. Even if nobody at your church that you grew up in told you this. And I don't mean just, Billy, your life has importance. That's just lip service. Anybody can say that. But are they treating you as if? Listen, Billy, this lesson is really important. So let's camp out on this. Let's take some time and really talk through this. Uh, even if it's, you know, weeks of conversations, let's go through this to be sure that you really get it. And if you have any questions, uh, we're going to take the time. We're going to hear them out. And so that we can be sure to give you great answers. When does that happen at church? Isn't it more likely you'll find a rush back to normalcy? Well, that's an uh, uh, interesting question, but uh, let's move on, <laughs> right? Let's pretend that didn't happen. Let's pretend you didn't just stump the teacher, right? It's a totally different paradigm. See, the teacher who doesn't know how to answer your question in Bible class, uh, he was given the same Bible you were. He was created to live in the same image you were. If you have the question, 
Why doesn't he have the question? Or she? Why is it unimportant to the teacher if it's important to the student? Unless the teacher is really the manager who's supposed to keep all the natives from getting restless. If that's his job. Oh, okay, well, that makes sense. That's why you don't want to talk about the answer because nobody else is asking this question. you got one good student here who's keen about this topic, and you just want to well, just shut up, Billy. <laughs> just shut up. Now, they're not going to say it in those words, but that's exactly what they want because nobody else is asking Billy's question. So what you did, you took the guy who's the keenest in the room, he's got his question, and uh, you want to see to it that nobody else starts asking that too. So you find a way to shut him down. Or you try, right? And it's just a matter of time before Billy leaves because he figures out that, you know, we're not getting anywhere here. Well, duh. It's, is this not the new wine and the old wineskins? Is this not the new, the patch of new garment uh, or new uh, cloth on an old garment? Of course it is. It's a new way of thinking. If, unless you were raised being told every day, hey, Billy, you were born in the image of God. Here's what that means. Here's how God behaves and thinks. So here's how we're going to learn to behave and think. Unless you're taught that uh, from birth, uh, you're going to have to learn it at some point. And so if you grew up in a typical American church, and again, I don't talk about the foreign churches because I don't know anything about them and what, what goes on there. Although I have some idea when it comes to the grand church corporations that are international where they bring their brand uh, to a city near you, like Walmart and Albertsons do, uh, and you can find this or that denomination spread all over the globe. I have some idea how they probably behave in Africa and Europe because I know how they behave here. So uh, that assumption, however good or bad it may be, is probably not entirely bad. Uh, but if you're like most churches in America, you're not being expected to grow and become like Jesus. Now, uh, uh, Jesus apparently was insane with regard to this question, if you think the American churches are sane that Jesus was just out there. Because he said crazy junk like, you are to be perfect even as my heavenly Father is perfect. And what am I talking about? Is that Matthew 5.48? I have not I worked on memorization of that, and so maybe it is, maybe it's not. Um, I am told that Albert Einstein did not memorize his own phone number, although he knew exactly where to find it in his notebook. And so this will be my defense if I don't have the scripture references uh, memorized for everything. <laughs> I know where to find it, right? So um, you, therefore, are to be perfect, or be ye, therefore, perfect, even as your heavenly Father is perfect. Think about that one. And people read that and they blow a gasket. They're like, what? That can't, nobody's perfect. <laughs> well, okay, you've probably heard this in sermons before. Uh, but the word there is uh, from uh, teleon or teleos or um, one of these Greek words, and it means perfect as in mature, as in complete, as in you're everything you were intended to be, 
It doesn't mean you're flawless. It doesn't mean you're without sin or without error. No, it means you are mature. That Yeah, that, that's what that guy was supposed to be. He's being godly. That's, that's it. That's what he's supposed to be. And, and so is God like that. God is complete. And so Jesus' lesson to his disciples was, you are to be complete, not lacking. They were to mature. They were to grow. They were to learn. They were to overcome. They were to stop sinning. Yes, that's right. Out of Jesus' own mouth, he told people, hey, stop sinning. The one he says, or something worse may happen to you. Well, that's not, we don't follow that Jesus in America. That's the taboo part. That's, that's in the restricted section of Jesus. You're not supposed to look in that part of the Bible and notice that part, right? So, unless you love the image of God. So let's talk about Harry the Rule Breaker. Uh, at Hogwarts, the library had a restricted section, and you weren't allowed to go in there without special permission from whomever. Uh, Harry went in there uh, because they had to look up Nicholas Flamel, and he goes in there with the invisibility cloak one night and almost gets caught uh, doing it. Uh, so, But he does, he does find the book I think he needed. Uh, I'm not certain on the story. However, uh, in his quest to get the knowledge they needed to fight evil, he broke some rules. Well, um, I'm going to submit you cannot be a typical American churcher who discovers the image of God and the directive to live that way. You cannot operate in the typical church without breaking some of their typical rules. Well, you're stirring up trouble, bro. That's against the rules. I'm just trying to talk about the truth. While you're asking questions, you're challenging leadership. That's against the rules. Well, I challenged the leader on something false he said that I could prove from the Bible was false. And uh, that is the rules. That's what Jesus did. You've heard that it was said this, but I tell you that. Right? Do not think to say to yourselves, blah, blah, blah. Instead, this is the truth. Well, you're not Jesus. Ah, well, funny you should bring that up. I am supposed to be living, be living in the image of Jesus. So many people get backed down. They get buffaloed by that. They say, okay, bro, I'm, I'm sorry, my bad. I, you know, that was disrespectful of me. <laughs> huh, no. If you think the Bible is telling you a thing and you think your preacher is telling you something contrary to that, uh, how is it the godly thing to do to shut up about it? How, is, how does that become godly? Doesn't Paul write somewhere, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but instead expose them? When you expose something, that's a deliberate act. 
and you know you're doing it. It's not by accident. You go do it on purpose. And that was, you know, Harry's rule breaking was quite on purpose. And it wasn't just once, it was lots of times. And even Hermione got into it, which was fun. So uh, am I saying this out of some sense of, uh, you know, being a rebel and, and just enjoying breaking the rules? Well, no, I'm saying it out of, look, I love the truth more than I love uh, whatever the rules are. I've told the story about some uh, preacher in one church who was going off about uh, some passage about the authority of the apostles. And you could tell he was doing it because he wanted to be treated as one having that same authority. And I raised my hand in class on Wednesday night and said, but you are not an apostle. I put my finger right on the heart of the matter. And that was not well received. <laughs> It was true. How come I didn't get congratulated for telling the truth? Did the preacher ever come to me and say, bro, you're totally right. I don't know what I was thinking. I know. He did not. Did his boss come to me and said, bro, you're totally right. Thanks for setting him straight. Nope. Did the others come to me and tell me Something like that? Nope. So I had broken a rule, and uh, as soon as I left, I think business went on as usual. And that's the way it happens. Well, I, you know, I wanted the truth. And I figured it out. I'm not sure if they figured it out to this day yet. So Harry goes through all this stuff, ends up costing him his life. And um, of course, he has the means to be uh, to come back to life in that story. And um, so they're victorious. And now basically Harry is pretty much, I guess, the hottest living wizard there is, the most powerful. And he decides that he's not going to keep that elder one and he breaks it. And he throws it away. And so if anything is a test of his character, it is the victory over Voldemort and his evil uh, cohorts. And Harry decides, no, I'm not going for the ambition here. I'm not going to be Mr. All-Powerful Wizard or as all-powerful as wizards were known to get or, you know, whatever. I can't say I fully understand that part of the story. So what about you? I mean, are you, I, I've seen the crazed people who want the mega church, the ambitious preacher who cannot stop to tell the truth in something when it might interfere with his idea of the mega church. And I've seen the small fish uh, preacher in his wee little church who's the big fish in a little pond, and I've seen him treat it the same way. I've seen the elder in the house church uh, feel threatened by a question when he should have thought it a glorious opportunity to look into something and learn something new. Well, why do these people not value the learning? And why do they not value correcting even 
things that one might argue are little things? Well, it's because they don't understand the image of God and it means very little to them. For them, the prime reason to be a Christian isn't to live in the image of God. Well, it's something else. And I don't think it's just a coincidence that it so often has to do with power and position and authority and being held in the high esteem, esteem of others and things along those lines. Th these are the things that ambitious people lust after. But the image of God, uh, Jesus, had considered equality with God something not to be grasped. Now, what does that mean? Because that's really not a great translation. It means that in light of all that was going on, he didn't consider it a thing to be held on to when he could instead let go of it and do so much good. You know, Satan attempted Jesus, hey, you bow down to me, I'll see to it that you run all the nations. And Jesus says, nope. Funny, he had already been promised all the nations. And he wasn't going to cheat to get them early or on his own terms. No, thanks. And it was just that simple. Nope, I'm good. Well, why aren't you like that? And I, why am I ragging on you? <laughs> Surely there's some yous out there that need to consider this. When you, see, you know, you, you know what I'm talking about. If you, if you know the Bible, if you've been just sitting in church all these years, you know what I'm talking about. You know you could go look these things up and find them. How come they're not part? of your routine thinking, assuming that they're not. And if, if I have a thousand listeners, I would imagine that at least 900 of them would be the kind of person where these things are not regularly in their routine thoughts. Well, why not? You've been sitting in front of the Bible. I figured out years ago regarding whatever it was that I, I had still needed to repent of and I, I did some math one day. I thought, you know, I've come to for, you know, uh, X number of years and Y number of meetings and sermons I've sat through and still I have not repented of this, whatever the thing was. And somebody got onto me for being legalistic. Well, bro, that's a legalistic way to look at that. It's like, really? So I'm not, it's not okay for me to examine myself and see whether I'm in the faith? to see whether I'm living faithfully, right? For a thing that I knew or should have known was sinful and I needed to cut it out. You see how they jump in to protect you? Oh, bro, you're, uh, that bar is too high for you. Don't try to put your foot up high on that bar. Here, let's lower that for you. Let's lower the standard. Let's ease the burden for you. Well, isn't it God who put the bar that high? Isn't he the one who says, uh, stop sinning? Isn't he the one that says, repent? Isn't he the one that says, you become the new man? All these things, you know these passages as well as I do. Why are you constantly trying to lower the bar for everybody else and yourself? Well, nobody's perfect, bro. 
Yeah, and you're going to see to that. That nobody becomes mature. Nobody becomes complete. And then, and we've already talked about this, the number of people who like to twist this whole image thing and say, oh, that means you're an imager of God. Well, what does that mean? Well, that means you're a representative of God. Well, what does that mean? Well, that means you represent God to the whole world. Okay, and what are they supposed to be doing? Well, they're supposed to be representing God to you too. Uh, well, wait a minute. If I'm already a representative of God, why do I need somebody representing God to me? When the United States sends an ambassador to, say, Germany, do we send another ambassador to the ambassador to Germany? Does he need someone else representing the United States to him while he or she is our representative already? Does this make any sense in the world? And yet millions of people are taken in by this kind of unreasonable uh, model. That just makes no sense. God created man upright, but he has had many schemes. It's the upright thing. It's the image thing. That's what we were created to live in, and that's a high calling. It's like discovering that, oh, you know, my church didn't really deal with this at all, but the Bible, oh boy, the calling for me is very high. I'm supposed to be mature. I'm supposed to have knowledge. I'm supposed to be ever growing and learning. I'm expected to endure, not give up, and to overcome, to see it through to the end, to the victory. These are words from the Bible. You know these words as well as I do. But I would be extremely surprised if at your church they are given the same latitude, these words, as I have learned to give them. I see these things differently from most of the churches. That's why I don't go to one because I can't find churches that will take these things all seriously. Now, so let me say this, and I've told you some about uh, some of the crazy church experiences I've had. Um, one of them is they will teach this idea, or at least they did, I don't know what they do now, but this idea of total commitment, or like, you know, discipling ministries, this, this sort of thing. Well, okay, uh, total commitment, that's sort of kind of what I'm talking about. That, look, God created you in the image. Are you going to live that way or not? Yes or no? You know, we need a yes. Uh, whoever does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Those are Jesus' words, not mine. Right? So this kind of, you know, radical repentance, uh, this kind of uh, bold discipleship, this total commitment. Well, okay, I don't have a problem with those words because I study who said them and how he said them in the context and what he meant. However, a lot of people will take those words and twist them into, well, we say that you're being a disciple of Jesus, but actually you're being a disciple of the church. We say you're living in the image of Jesus, but we don't actually teach you here to live the way Jesus taught in every respect, only in some, and in other things we've tweaked it to suit us more. You see, so there can always be the counterfeit of this. 
you know, it's intriguing on Facebook, social media, all the videos you'll find about you might be eating a food that's causing you to die early. <laughs> and so, oh, what, what's that? I, I listened on a road trip for an hour or more to one of these videos. I got caught in it somehow. And it turns out uh, I think I'm not supposed to be eating tomatoes, that somehow this is killing me early. Uh, well, that's intriguing. Uh, meanwhile, other people are talking about how the lycopene in tomatoes is great for you and so forth. Uh, okay, so what's the truth? And of course, um, it comes down to, well, what you need is this supplement that we sell, that we get from left-handed elves in the greater Antilles and, uh, you know, under some rock and a mushroom, we found some extract and and we mine this for you and uh, you need to buy this from us. It can't be as simple as, hey, quit eating tomatoes, right? <laughs> or whatever the thing is. You need more sun for vitamin D uh, along with our supplement, right? And so they can't just tell you the truth. They got to they gotta sell you something, right? Well, I'm not running a church. I make no money off of this podcast. In fact, it costs me money, although I do occasionally get uh, a generous um, donation from somebody, and I'm super thankful for that. It helps pay the bills. But I'm not benefiting from you taking what I say and going to look and see in the Bible if it's true and from putting it into practice. It's not like I'm starting a church where you come and pay homage to me and I get power from your um, adoration or from your obedience or something. I'm just telling you these things because I think they're true, and I tell you why I think they're true. Uh, it's in the Bible, and you know it's in there as much as I do. So uh, my view of Christianity, it should be something that reflects what Jesus taught, like fully, like completely, and not uh, the watered-down version of it that is so utterly popular. And so, um, I don't know if I've made the case to you here. I think I've been going a little over an hour. Uh, but to bring it back home to Harry Potter, how many 11-year-olds this year in America would have been surprised to find out that they're actually wizards and ought to go off uh, to school under the tutelage of the greatest wizard ever. Wouldn't that be a surprise? Wouldn't that be a stretch? Not something that happens every day, right? Well, I think that when you discover uh, the Bible and what it really says, and I'm not playing games with that, like I have some novel interpretation of uh, many things in there, it's the stuff that you and I both know. It says under our noses for all these years. If you really take that to heart, uh, God's got a life for you. A life will result from putting that into practice that is quite different from what you're going to get by being a faithful member down at Faith Mindless or Grace Basbeterian or wherever you go. Because they're in it for different things. You don't have to go put money in their plate in order to live in the image of God. In fact, if they're doing stuff down there that they ought not be doing, if they're teaching things they ought not teach, if they're harboring sin on the part of their leaders, if they're abusing people in various ways, 
Uh, these are evil things. And Paul would tell you, I believe, that you're to have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather to expose them. Now, you may think, oh, that would make me very uncomfortable. And so let's find a way out of applying that verse to my situation. Uh, and millions do. They know that verse. It's in their Bible too. They know the words. They can read it. They can pronounce it. And they know what it means. But they find a reason not to do it. And that is cheating. That is unfaithful. So, you know, it's so, it's funny. You know, back at the crazy church, uh, the preachers would get on to you because people would come up and say, well, bro, uh, what's your vision for my life as a disciple? And then what they wanted was the preachers say, well, you know, really, I see you being an elder one day, or I see you leading a women's ministry or, you know, whatever. And this is, it, it's a bit like the mirror of Erised, is it not? So uh, whatever would make them happy, that's what they wanted to hear was the preacher's vision for them. But how many would have said, well, bro, uh, my vision for you is that you would learn to be the full image of God and to think like God and to think about people the way God thinks about people, to love them that way, to care about them, to be careful about what you say and about getting everything right, to be mature in these ways, in your knowledge and your wisdom and uh, your kindness and all this. That's my vision for you, that you would live in the image of God. Well, <laughs> who wants to hear that? Uh, somebody like Harry Potter might want to hear something like, my vision for you is that you would become a great wizard like Dumbledore. And although that does not happen in the movie, we do see his great admiration for Dumbledore again and again. So would that have made Harry uh, happy to hear that somebody's vision for him was that he would become like Dumbledore? Well, yeah, it would. Uh, assuming I've interpreted his character right. And what about the Christian? Shouldn't he be happy to hear, bro, my vision for you is that you learn uh, that fruit of the Spirit and learn to live that way? Because that would be awesome. Well, uh, chances are, if he's asking the question, he may be ambitious uh, to some degree in the first place, and he, want, he wants an answer like, oh, I see you leading your own church. Or something like that, some sort of title or honor. So it's a bit of a garbage in, garbage out kind of thing. If you, if you bring the bad motivations with you, while well, you want to see them fulfilled. And a lot of people get disappointed with that. And I think this happens in churches all the time. And, you know, churches have different flavor from one another. But it still happens quite a lot. I've seen plenty of vanity in my years. I've been plenty vain myself uh, over the years. And I just, I don't value that anymore. I don't want to be like that when I see myself getting vain over something, getting petty over something. Like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. We're not going there. And again, you know, I figured this thing out a few months ago. The road to hypocrisy is a short one. And that is so true. It's, uh, you know, every day. 
I catch myself thinking a thing, maybe saying it, uh, but certainly thinking it or sort of stewing on it, feeling it, where I realize, no, 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 that's not right. We can't go down that road and I have to turn myself around. And I think that's part of what we're supposed to do uh, because in, in this world you will have troubles and they're not all external. A lot of it is the trouble of dealing with your own mind and your own um, disposition and such training yourself to be, uh, you know, in the renewing of your mind, this sort of thing. Well, you know these scriptures. And so the question is, does your church know these scriptures? Well, why wouldn't they? It's the same book, right? So are we actually going to do it or not? I think you need to leave your church if they're not pushing you to do this. Indeed, what's the point of staying? Do you need help compromising? I'd really like to compromise my walk with Jesus, and I'd need some help to do it. <laughs> I need your encouragement, bro. I'll sit right back here on my favorite pew, and you go ahead and start preaching. Give me some reasons. You know, give me one reason to stay here, and I'll turn this, what is it, turn it back around? How does the words go? Tracy Chapman, I'm talking. Uh, why should you keep going to a place that does not want you to become like Jesus. I don't get that. If you get that, why do you get that? Why would you want to set your sights lower? I think we can be in his image without having his power. Let me say that again. I don't think you can be in the image of God uh, in 100% all the possible ways somebody might mean that. You cannot, for example, uh, create beings out of nothing. You're, that's not part of being in God's image. Um, it's not part of what he was talking about. He doesn't expect you to have God's powers. But he expects you to have God's righteousness. When Jesus taught these things to his apostles... Uh, their response was something like, really? Uh, because, wow, that's a really high bar. You know, regarding the, the riches and stuff, they said, well, if a rich man can't make it into heaven, who can? It took them a while to get their brains around this. And they realized that oh, yeah, this is kind of radical. <laughs> and indeed it is, right? And so... Uh, that's why I think this Harry Potter story is so valuable in this way. It, it's such a fine uh, comparison that if you want the real deal, oh, it is not life at the Dursleys. And I think a lot of people go to the first church of Dursley where the bar is set exceedingly low, expectations are low, and you're just supposed to learn how to enjoy your time there until you die. But that is not what I see in the Bible. I see every congregation was called to grow and mature and to repent as needed. The Corinthians, here's the thing people cannot understand. I have looked people in the face, they cannot understand. 1 Corinthians 1.10. Uh, let's see, it depends on the version, and I don't have them memorized, but something like, 
uh, that they were to be united, uh, perfectly united in mind and thought or in thought and opinion. And I read that to some people, some very nice people whom I love dearly. And they will say, but, but how can you say that we at our church should be like that? I mean, that, this doesn't leave room for differences in maturity, does it? Well, why don't you take that up with Paul who wrote that? Excuse me, Paul, uh, I, this is probably just a typo, right? I, you didn't mean to say that we here at Corinth should be perfectly united in our thoughts and opinions. Surely you didn't mean that. I mean, how could you mean something that stupid? <laughs> something that ignorant, right? Surely you know that's not how it's going to go. Yet Paul said that. He said that very thing. I've looked it up in the Greek over and over and over. I know what it says. You know what it says too. Maybe you never looked it up and you should because you should really want be wanting to prove me wrong right now. But if you reach the same conclusion I did about it, that wow, he's calling them to actual unity. And this is nothing new. Jesus on his last night there before the crucifixion, does he not pray to God that the leaders, uh, that the, the apostles will be one as we are one? This is not Paul inventing things. Jesus had already set the bar that high, that unity. And yet I talk to churchers today about it. They just, I, I can't fathom that. You know, Windows is not responding. I'm reminded of that uh, gloriously mediocre movie, Joe versus the Volcano, Tom Hanks, and I think it's Meg Ryan or the other one. I always get them too mixed up. But uh, anyway, I said I get them too mixed up. Now, that's funny. Uh, so uh, anyway, Joe is pouring out his heart, his life's dreams to this lady, his desperate wish to be something more than he is. And she looks at him and says, I have no response to that. I think that God has put this image in front of people and he sent it here on the hoof, as it were. Jesus in a living body, walking and breathing and talking and behaving so that we could see what does that look like in a living human? And so he showed us and then he paid the price to die for us, showing his grand commitment to loving us and helping us make it. Uh, and then people say, well, that was Jesus. Well, yeah, that was Jesus. That was the man who was sent here to be the very image of what you're supposed to be. Right. <laughs> but you say, well, no, no, he, see, he was special. We're not supposed to be that same image. We're not supposed to operate on that high a level. We're supposed to be way down here, way, way, way lower. You see, Jack. And here at, at, at Grace Mindless, that's what we teach. So we cover you, we slather you with grace. Grace, 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 grace. You don't have to learn anything. You don't have to overcome anything. You don't have to endure anything. If you just come like, you know, twice a year, that'll be okay. We got enough grace to slather on for that, right? And so their view of the image is exceedingly lower than what Jesus would say. Jesus uh, <laughs> is talking to, is it John and Peter? And he tells Peter something hard. And Peter says, well, what about him? <laughs> and Jesus says, 
basically, what kind of question is that? I mean, this, this is almost what I would expect. The, the unabridged version might be, it's like, what do you care about him? If he's going to stay alive till I come back, what do you care? Right. And so I think people do that so often. The image is for you. This is God's message to you that you're supposed to live like Jesus, period. That's the plan. That's the mission. That's your assignment. That's your task. That is your lot in life. That is your prime directive. Who cares about what role you have at church or who your discipler was or who your first pastor was or whether he's related to some famous preacher from history? Who cares? It's between you and God. It's not between you and the church. And if you get that wrong, you're going to end up following the church down some primrose path that does not lead you through life's many troubles that God designed to help make you ready uh, to be silver or gold. Had Harry Potter not gone through all this, would he have been the wizard at the end that he was? Of course not. Would he have learned the character? Would he have become the colonel there in Dumbledore's army and the leader of people? No. Would he have sacrificed himself for those he loved? No. Would he have sacrificed himself for what is right and just? No. He had to learn all those things, and he learned it through suffering. And that's how it works. I think it's a great story. I think it's got a lot to say uh, about us in some sort of a parallel way. And, of course, uh, Rowling didn't need to tell us all that because we could have already gotten all that from the Bible. These things are already in the Bible. So uh, this message has been on my mind for many weeks and I really loved figuring out this sort of parallel here. Uh, and I realized, yes, this is exactly what has frustrated me so much. Because this whole series, I have been sharing these things from lesson one on God cares about how you think. Uh, already having this conviction that, hey, the bar is really high. And we're supposed to learn to reach up to the high bar in life where I think the average Joe Christian on the street, his idea is, no, it's very, very low. All I have to do is believe, or all I have to do is go to church, or all I have to do is say the good confession, or all I have to do is get baptized, you know, something like this, some sort of a check it off kind of thing that is so commonly taught. And yet Jesus is like, no, I want your whole life from beginning to end. I want you to devote it all to me from the moment you repent forward. Uh, and if you stumble and sin, you keep repenting and keep going. You endure, you overcome, right? That's what the Bible says. That is not American Christianity. And so you can talk to people about Jesus all day long, but until they get that, you're not talking about the same person. And so it's very frustrating to me because people even say, oh, yeah, good, good point, bro. <laughs> They'll... They'll write to me on you know discussion forums. Good point. But I can tell that they don't really get it. And this is not new to me. This is not, oh, you know, uh, Jack's view of the world. This has been going on forever. You know, I love how Einstein 
said that his, uh, whichever of the two theories, I think it was the general one, that um, he said, yeah, but uh, only one of my colleagues understands it. In fact, and I don't know if I've shared about this recently, but this whole idea of the theory of relativity, what did the public get out of that? Well, millions and millions and millions of people started saying, well, everything's relative, bro. <laughs> By which it was some moral relativism kind of axiom for them, which had zero to do with what Einstein meant. And he even said that on the record, right? But the way that people took it, oh, yeah, everything's relative. So at least I didn't murder anybody. Yeah, I robbed the store at gunpoint. Yeah, but at least I didn't murder anybody. So relatively speaking, you know, it wasn't all that bad what I did. You see, that's relativism, moral relativism, and that it just oh, our nation is awash in that. Our culture is steeped in that. And the churches are too. So they don't understand the image. They don't really know what it means to be a follower of the true and whole Jesus of the Bible. They only know the church version of it. And what a pity that is. Because there is so much more to life than trying to live down to the low standards of church. So that's what I wanted to share with you. I find this very serious and uh, constantly aggravating. And yet once somebody gets this, they're on their own. They don't need their hand held because they've got the Bible. They've got this book that's filled with all these lessons of morality, of virtue, of knowledge and wisdom and so forth. Uh, they're going to learn it for love of the game. They don't have to be preached at all their lives. If they get something wrong, you can fuss at them and they'll fix it. Look at Paul fussing at Peter. Peter fixed it. He was not like so many church leaders today who will leave their sin unrepented of, <laughs> to end with a preposition, just to be uh, humorously perverse in that. Paul, uh, Peter was the real deal. So even when he messed up and he got rebuked, he fixed it. More than once. It's a lot on the record, right? So uh, anyway, that's, that's my frustration with this church world in the United States, that we're not talking about the same Jesus. I'm, I'm talking about the unabridged version, and where so many think they're talking about Jesus, but they're not. It's only somebody's bullet points that they pulled out for a sermon or for the What We Believe page on the website. And so that's my message. I hope that you find this uh, challenging. It should be challenging. And I hope that you find it uh, edifying too. Uh, because if you take this to heart and start learning on your own between you and God, I'm going to live in the image no matter what my friends at church say about it. Then I think you can really get somewhere far better than you can by just trying to fit in. So that's what I've been wanting to share with you. Thanks for joining in. Thank you.